seconds flat. Give me up. This is the Seconds Flat Running Podcast. Hello again, friends, and welcome in for mile 129 of the Seconds Flat Running Podcast. Travis here and Phil alongside. Phil, how you doing? Ah, it's good to be back here. It's good to be back in studio. Yeah, it's been a little while. It has been. Had a, had a brief break. Life happens. That's right. But it's good to be back. We're going to take a deeper dive into a specific training topic tonight as we near fall marathon season. The first of the big ones. We are within three weeks, less than now. Yep. We're getting closer to two weeks to Berlin. And then they just start hitting us one after the next... Through October and December. How many days do you have, Phil? 87. That means I, too, have 87. But who's counting? Just you. Before (laughs) the big showdown, we will, as well, go through our past seven days of training so you can see what we are doing 80-some days out, which puts us... What is that, like 14 oh, weeks or 13 weeks out? December 12? 12 weeks. Yeah. That quick you math I did that. was yeah. awful. Oh, that was. You're writing my workouts. You should know this. I, well, you got a good glimpse of how that, the race right. is going to go today on the track where, where I continually lapped you. And you were over by the fence gasping and heaving <laughs> and sipping on your water bottle. You keep telling yourself, sweetie. <laughs> yeah, that would be right. That'd be 12 and a half weeks about yeah. uh, to show time in December. Yeah, I can't wait. Let's start it with an actual legitimate athlete of repute yes. and a certain caliber. Somebody that deserves to be called a runner. Grant Fisher. The Diamond League wrapped up its season yesterday and today in Switzerland. Has he wrapped up his season or is he going to keep well, going? I don't have that answer. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but it's put an exclamation point on his season, we think. Perhaps yeah. there's more on the way. But uh, certainly the the heart of his track season is now over. Uh, we have seen him through the Diamond League, through the World Championships, the American Championships, all the way back to what he did indoor. He finished that Diamond League run with a third-place performance at the Diamond League final in Zurich yesterday in the 5,000. Did you see the outdoor I venue? I was, was going to ask, what did he end up running yesterday? So he was uh, right around 13 flat. I want to okay. say maybe a second or two over. It was and one in like 12... 12.59? Yeah. yeah. The venue is what's interesting. It's beautiful. Mm-hmm. It's fascinating. I hate it for a Diamond League final. They did this last year as well. Is it, this the one where they set the track up through town? Yes. Yeah, like so lane? it's on the outdoor track that's something like 500 to 600 meters. Yeah. I, I can't remember the distance now. Um, but it's got, it's like got three bigger turns yep. on it that are kind of sharp. I have seen pictures it's of that. It's a beautiful venue yeah. along the water, downtown. Last night was fantastic. The weather was great. In what would be the infield, if this was a track, they mm-hmm. set up throws. They had high jump, pole vault, shot put, all going on yesterday. So you didn't see any of the action from me? No. Okay, so then let me quickly catch okay. you up then in addition to what Grant Fisher did. We had Joe Kovacs with the second greatest heave of the shot in Ooh. world history. 
he beat Ryan Krauser yesterday. Ryan Krauser has been coming off uh-huh. COVID and has struggled a little here recently. Well, both of those guys have had oh, they're incredible, incredible seasons. Yeah, and it's so much fun to watch. Krauser cemented himself earlier this summer as the greatest of all time. Yeah. Joe Kovacs went and took the season's world lead from yep. him. But they also had the high jump. Women's pole vault was yesterday in this outdoor venue. And the crowd was was in it. Uh, Gianmarco Tamberi again in the high jump, oh, who was man. one of the inspirational uh-huh. stories from the Olympics. At one point, we tend to see in these field events a, cr- a crowd clapping in unison. Mm-hmm. He turned it on its head and completely silenced the crowd at one point. I mean, it was pin drop at this outdoor yeah. stadium. As he kind of psyched himself up before one of the last jumps, and then he executed. It was a really neat. Great venue. But the reason I hate this is this is the Diamond League final. It's the championship. And we are running the 5,000 men and women outside. Uh, the other events are on the track mm-hmm. today, but this is not a certified course. These times count for nothing. I would like to finish the competition season if this is truly a crowning of the Diamond League champion, which okay. it's intended to be, although right. not everyone shows up at the final. But most of the best runners are there. I would like to run on a 400-meter track at an actual track meet. Okay. It's That's... super cool. It's great for bringing people into the yeah. sport. I just don't know that it's the spot for the Diamond League final. I think That's fair, because my initial reaction would be... It doesn't really matter because these guys are, it's championship racing. So it's not like they really care where their splits are. Right, but I think it affects championship racing as well because the bell goes off and you're like 560 right. some meters from the finish and you have, one of the turns is so sharp that they bank the track. Huh. Yeah. Okay. I get uh, your, I get your point. You're yeah. racing to win. But as a championship Diamond League event. Yeah. Let's put it on and a 400 meter track. Especially in a normal year when we haven't already crowned champions at Euro and Commonwealth right. and World. I think it would just mean more. I think that's the SEC slogan. It just means more. <laughs> Diamond League. It just means more. If we could do this... That's fair. I'd love to keep the event, but I don't know if it's the place and time. Okay. Uh, that's really just background to Grant Fisher's season. This is capping a remarkable run. If we go back to Indoor earlier this year, through last week in Brussels... He ran a 12.46 in the 5,000, a new American record in really one of the signature distance events. I always know it's an important event to the average track fan if they understand what the time means. A lot of average American track fans don't get a lot out of Ingebrigtsen's 329.1500 he ran today, which is a world lead. Or 3,000 meter race. Yeah, if it was a mile. If it's no. a 5K... Everybody understands what a 5K is. Yeah, that means something. Yeah. 1246, he broke Bernard Lagat's 2011 American record of 1253. And just this year now, he has claimed four mm-hmm. American records. So That's we have... five PRs, right? The 5,000 indoor, the 5,000 outdoor, the 3,000, and the 10,000. They all belong to Grant Fisher. He has entirely rewritten... The American Distance Record yes. book. The execution in that race last week in, in Brussels was nearly flawless. Uh, that was a fairly evenly split race, and he was able to close in under 59 I seconds that again last to night. take the record. To see that final split on the 400 yeah. after how fast those guys are going, and it just looks so smooth. Yes. I had the, the discussion with Benji right after it. 
there is a piece of you as good as crop is and yeah. and that i believe moved crop to the fifth or sixth fastest time ever and, it was and the world, world lead, lead. For the that's season. correct yeah. there was a piece of both Benji and I that thought Grant Fisher might win this yeah. race. Yeah. He just executed really so perfectly. 200 meters to go. That's right. He's yeah. sitting right there on Crop's shoulder. Not only is this an American record, it moves him to world number 12 all time. Wow. And it is the only non-African in that top 12. Wow. He, he has now set the fastest time ever by a non-African runner. Well, that was a fast race in general that he was in. It we was. We saw a new, what, a Swedish national record? And we saw the we saw second... Ryan national record. Yeah, I'm sorry. Um, with Luis Gravalha. The second fastest Australian time ever. Yep. Stewie McSwain, who was sick for most of the early season and had an injury... Uh, nearly bested Craig Mottram's Australian record in going under 13 minutes as well. So uh, it was a lightning fast race. Uh, Just a little tidbit here for you. We're mentioning now that this is the fastest American time ever and the fastest non-African time. I went through the top 100 times of all time. So this is the best by an individual ranked to 100 of all time. There are eight Americans now in the top 100. Okay. With Grant Fisher at the top. Do you want to take a stab at any of the others? This probably would have been fairer if I had not looked and you were asking oh, me, yeah. given my no. nerddom. But if you want to take... My guesses would be all from like the 70s, which well, you'd be wrong. would be yeah. or blown away by now. The farthest back on this list would take you to the 90s. Yeah. There'd be one from the 90s. You want to put any names out there? Oh... In the 90s, maybe a Steve Spence? No, that's a good guess, but oh. no. The best 5,000-meter runner of the 90s. I don't know. How many hints can I give you here? Oh. Uh, he was just, an just share. Atlanta Olympian, ran at Indiana University. He's pride of Westerville, Ohio. I'm going to kick myself when you say this. Yes, you are. He's got a Nike shoe named after him, Phil. That's... Shares his last name with a president. There are people right now driving in their cars thinking about how incompetent my co-host is. <laughs> that would be fair. Bob Kennedy? Yep. Ring a bell? Yes. Yes. <laughs> no, I know. I put you on the spot. The one that I would expect you to guess actually got bumped out of the top 100 by Grant Fisher, which I found really interesting. Okay. He is now out of the top 100 by like hundredths of a second. That's Galen Ruff. Oh. He got pushed to number 102 by the guys in that race uh-huh. at Brussels. In order by time, uh, of course, Lagat, the right. guy whose record he broke. Chris Selinski. Okay. Yeah. The summer of Selinski. Yep. Man. Ritz. Dathan mm-hmm. Ritzenheim. Uh, Paul Chalimo, of course, okay. recently. This one is would have been a little tougher. It was more of a time trial setting just recently on the Nike campus. Woody Kincaid. Uh, yeah. yeah. Then Bob Kennedy. And then maybe the toughest one I think would have been for you, and, uh, and certainly for a less avid track fan, I believe this would have come from 2009, summer of 2009, and I think it was at Brussels as well in the Diamond League. That's Matt Teagan camp. Ooh. Yeah. Yeah, I would not have guessed that one. Yeah, I, I think that, that was a 1256. Yeah. Rupp's best outdoor time, I believe, is 1258. Okay. From the summer of 2012, that was in Eugene. 2012 was, of course, his Olympic track medal right. year. Second to Mo Farrow. To that point, that leads me to a series of questions about Grant Fisher's performance, okay. now that we have some historical context. Let's start with the race in itself. Number one, 
Is this his best race yet? No. Okay, what would you put at the top? Well, thinking at how much more of a career that oh, he still has left. Okay, so in the future. you're saying he's going to run something better. Yeah. Oh, I won't argue yeah. that. To this to point. To this point, absolutely. Yeah, so I agree. To this point, regardless of the performance, the great performance at the Olympics, right. when he neared a medal, same story at the World Championship, and not just because of where he finished, but his ability to brilliantly use the lead pack right. and stay attached but always let them do the work. And as competitors fell off, it was him hanging on, and it was just, just Fisher right and shoulder. Jacob Kropp, yeah. the, the Kenyan, to the end. Kropp finished second at the World Championships in mm-hmm. July, and Fisher's right there with him into the kick right. at, the, at the last turn uh, before he edged him out down the stretch. And Kropp ran 12.45 to move him into that top, again, I believe it's sixth all time. What it showed me was an ability to run in a fast race mm-hmm. That tends to be a Bowerman Track Club strength, given that they do a little more time trialing than some of the other groups might do with racing. It showed an ability to hang on to that at a lightning fast pace, though, and to stay in that mix when other guys got broken. Add to that, it showed an ability to kick off of that Uh pace. Well, because the second to last lap was, what, 61? 61. Yes, of 61. Yeah. Then the turnover was 57? Yeah, 58 points. Okay. Yeah. So we, we kicked off of a fast pace. To me, the, the piece missing now that we'll have to see, because we, we saw some of it, 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 it appears the seeds have been sown mm-hmm. at World Championships. Can he kick off of a slower pace the same way some yeah. of these guys can? Because that's going to separate his ability to win medals at the biggest races. Yeah. So give us some perspective then. If this was a fast race, his final lap's 58 seconds. What does he need to be able to run to be competitive out of a slower race for that last lap? Yeah, historically, to win? Is that your question? Yeah, yeah he's he's got to be able to run low to mid-50s. Yeah, 53 seconds the, so. the, Yeah, the data is going to suggest he needs to close in like Because they're going to get to that point, frankly, it could be close to a minute slower yeah. than what they just did. And he might need to go 52 to 54. Yeah. And 52 would be very, very fast. But potentially, depending on who he's running against, because just do the math, crop closed in 55 right. off of a hot pace. Yeah. Okay, so let's let's build on that. That's his best race. Now let's put him in context with some of these other guys. Are you willing to offer him up or at least put him in the conversation as the greatest American distance runner ever? Oh, 100%. This... All right. looking, at, looking at the records that he currently owns, I mean, the other comparisons when he emailed me this question would be, you know, potentially a Rogers or Shorter when they're winning, winning you know, Boston and New York in the same year. Yeah, see, that's I, a totally different era. I think that's a good comparison that you went to two things. One, you went away from the track. Right. Because that's where you have to go. Are you going to, are you, as they say, goating him? Are you going to put him as the greatest? Or are you just saying no, he's in the mix? I, he is certainly in the mix. Okay. I think, I mean, he's what, 24, 25? Yeah, that's right. I think so so yeah. the potential for the next five, seven, ten years is yeah. incredible. Yeah. Potential never got anybody a medal. Well, that's true. Right. I get your point. It, theoretically, he has set himself up to be unquestionably the right. best distance runner we've right. ever seen. Yeah, the, the but, other- but so had Steve Prefontaine. Right. So had... Well, he's the other one that comes into the conversation, I think. When he owned American records from, what, the 2-mile to the 10K? Right. All, all the, the way across time. the board. Yeah. He was he was the record holder in all of them. Yeah. You know, of course, his is a tragic circumstance, but it could be injury. It could be burnout. Right. So potential doesn't... 
anything beyond today we can't account for. I, I do put him in the mix, though. Yeah. You might have hit the name. I still think it's shorter because of the, the two Olympic medals in the marathon when you're mm-hmm. separating yourself by four years. And one of them, the silver, with Should have been a goal. virtual certainty is a gold. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we have records of a doper right. beating him. Right. Uh, so, here, so here's where I think Grant Fisher made miss. And I think Shorter probably had just the advantage of the time and place is that, you know, Fisher is known to track nerds, but hasn't created the, the cultural overtones yeah. that Frank Shorter had with ushering in the running boom. Yeah, right. That that time period, that you're, you're you know, spot on. And he's that's on the cover of Sports Illustrated. Yeah. It's everybody and their brother out jogging. That's what Pre has, right? right. That, that's right. what Pre has. Because Pre is more Fisher-like in that he doesn't have the medals. Right. To me, that's what separates Shorter is winning on the biggest scale. That is the one thing Grant Fisher's missing. Yeah. I'm a, I'm a big Grant Fisher fan, but I will admit I was a little bit internally critical at the World Championships as I watched when we get Grant Fisher just clipping himself on the rail. Yeah. And there's a piece of me that thinks, boy, they race so infrequently. Are they doing themselves a disservice because of that, that he's not prepared for these type of situations as well Mm -hmm. as he could be? Those guys of that 70s era raced all the time. time. There's probably a spot in the middle that would be perhaps good for the runner, but also just good for the sports. But not having those medals that separates him. Okay. So I guess I'd let's pivot a little bit then. Is he the greatest on the track among those distance runners? Ooh, I would say so. Because then the question that comes up would be, who, who else would you put there? Well, uh, Shortlist, Rupp, yeah. Chalimo with okay. medals at the World Champs. Yeah. Okay, yeah, right. We could even think about guys who had great careers and won really, really good race. Like Leo Manzano was good forever and then had a huge race in 2012 at the Olympics and medaled. I don't think he's as good as Grant Fisher. But especially in an Olympic sport like ours, we measure first by the Olympics. Benji and I have had this argument. He says the world champs is the same thing. We're crowning a world champion, but it's the eyes on... The events. Everybody's tuned in for the Olympics. Yeah. It, the final four is a whole lot different than what happens in mid-January uh-huh. on Big Monday on ESPN. Bob Kennedy would be a shortlist yep. guy. I'm sure there's more. But in that context, I don't think Fisher separates himself from those other runners. But I'm not sure any of them are for certain Better oh, than Fisher, absolutely in that right? Conversation. And yeah. so then you have to look back to a previous era. Mm-hmm. We have to get out of our lifetimes and take a step back. And I'm okay with going to different eras yeah. because the, the beauty in our sport, when we compare eras, is they raced against people within right. their own eras, and medals reflect that. Right. And so whether it's Billy Mills or Bob Scholl or Glenn Cunningham or whoever you want to take from mm-hmm. decades ago. We haven't mentioned him, but I think we should mention him at least. Alberto Salazar. Yeah. Both on the track uh-huh. and on the road. And the marathon. Right. And the yeah. And there's more. There's, there's way more. But to then funnel this down, is it perhaps the greatest season ever, though? Oh, absolutely. That's That yeah. maybe is the better argument. Because you're... 
you're having those performances not just over a, a six-week period, but over a nine-month period. Yeah. From indoor all the way to you know, the end of August. Yep. And he was, although he didn't win a medal at World Champs, he was very good there. Right. He was very good in big races. And as you pointed out, if we were going to take the like 12-month window from Tokyo, uh-huh. which, frankly, on the world stage, he was... He was a novice compared to these other runners right. and, and ran well in the 10,000. That 12-month window across all those records through the World Championships, a little bit of it is he benefits from the timing mm-hmm. of those races. That's really tough to beat. I guess I would say in in recent memory, if we were going to stay in this era, it would Rupp's 2012 may be the competitor okay. to it with his sub-13 5K combined with an Olympic medal and then also a high Olympic finish right. in his off event. But just the fact that we're having these conversations about Grant Fisher at this point in his career is super exciting. Well, and really just to highlight what a fantastic track season this really the past yes. two months have been. Wall to wall. I had a conversation today with a friend of the show, my buddy JR. Uh, it began with him asking me, you love sports, right? And I said, well, yeah, generally, I, I mean... I don't love every sport, but yeah. I, I'm a fan across sport. I, I appreciate excellence yes. in sport, regardless of this, this specific medium. He said, to build on that, it's interesting that he too loves sport, but commented that how little programming from ESPN he watches and asked me how little I watch. Uh-huh. And I realized, I, I answered his question by saying, in the past month, I've turned ESPN on twice. Notre Dame, Ohio State football game last weekend. And U.S. Open tennis, the Nadal match uh-huh. the other night. It's been on. I've seen the tennis when I've been out a little bit. I like watching the tennis, right. but not at, at my home. I realized I've turned on Peacock Sports yes. in that same time, uh-huh. like five times more than I put <laughs> on ESPN. That's how good the track has been. Yes. And of course, I would be watching that anyway. But in this this gap that you have in the summer... Track took advantage. Yes. And we have to keep taking advantage. Well, we get the world champs again next year. I think Peacock Sports has really highlighted the market for these kind of events. They covered the Tour de France. Yeah. Yeah, these... The endurance sports. I don't want to call them obscure, but the, the non-football basketball yeah. sports that really has a fan base and that if we can get a little more coverage... Niche, let's call them. Sure. Yeah, that really can build some excitement to continue to grow the sport. Two more questions coming off Grant Fisher stuff. One, how long does his record for fastest time by a non-African runner last? Hmm. I think at this time next year... It's gone. It's gone. Yeah. By who? Ingebrigtsen. Mm-hmm. That's who I would have said, too. Yeah. You know, he's discussed the potential for a triple next year at World Champs if the schedule works out. Yeah. Which, as currently constituted, would be almost impossible. But he's commented on his training is at its heart skewed towards 5,000 meter running. He's talked about his interest in longer stuff. He mentioned even in an interview in Switzerland or the Diamond League final talking about, well, what could I do in a half marathon or marathon? And he has run, uh, what, two seconds slower than Fisher without nearly as many attempts. Not to say Fisher can't run faster, but there's a chance Ingebrigtsen could be with a focus, the best 5,000-meter runner in the world. Yeah. And I don't know that I would be willing to go there for Grant Fisher. That's fair. Yeah. 
So I would say this time next year, either he has run faster or Ingebrigtsen has run faster than him. I would take that bet. Okay. Last one. Does this mean anything for the future of Oregon track and field? A Stanford athlete. I understand. <laughs> but you get the connection, right? Uh-huh. Jerry Schumacher, Bowerman Track Club coach, taken over at Oregon. Grant Fisher sets four American records. The access we now have, say, via YouTube to what high school runners see, knowing that his coach and the people he tra- trains with yeah. are in Eugene, Oregon, at that stadium as your home stadium. Uh-huh. One of the great programs in the sports history. And its distance program has been just a tick below right. what it had been. Is there a potential gain, or am I just stretching here? Because I think if you are Oregon, you're selling the I heck so. out of this. I hope so. And really, from the angle that like Oregon track has been you know, the cream of the crop for the past several years, mm-hmm. but their distance program is has not lived up to its potential. Yeah. So to have them back up in the mix for you know, NCAA cross country yeah. would be enjoyable. Stanford's going to be as good as anybody this year in, in cross. So uh, I'm sure they're using it to their advantage in yeah. their recruiting. They, they have an incredibly deep team. They're going to be on the short list of national title contenders. All right, let's quickly, Phil, go to our training from this past week before okay. we go into the final main topic. Uh, would you like to take the lead here? Sure. Go so for we'll it. So we'll go. Let, let's see. It's Thursday. I've already doubled. So Thursday is in the book. So <laughs> so last Friday. So. Yeah, sure. Let's do it. Okay. So let's see. Last Friday was... Well, let me pull up Strava to make sure this is accurate. Let's do that. You want me to go first? Go first. Well, okay. Last Friday, I had a workout session. Uh, the uh, Lucky Sevens. Seven by three minutes. With one minute rest, followed by seven by 30 second hill and seven times strides on the turf. I worked that down. It was progressive. I worked down from probably about 15K pace to the last one was about 5K pace. Most of it was about a 10K effort. Easy double back out that afternoon. Saturday was uh, about a 60 and 30 minute double. Also did yoga on Saturday. Sunday was virtually off. Active recovery. Very slow. Very slow. Gentle. Way to go. Gentle. <laughs> Five miles. Uh, 40, almost 43 minutes. Felt great. It was done intentionally. Mileage has been high lately. Yeah. I've shifted back to about a nine-day calendar here off of the week that we were on over the summer, and we were working on some different stuff. So it just felt like time to take a day off, but I thought, well, I'll just get some blood flow. And also because my long run then set up for Monday. Yep. Uh, 20 miles. That one. 20 miles in a torrential downpour. <laughs> I had to stop at Furman. I, I took a, a break at Furman to take a gel and wring out my socks. The, the trail was so flooded. Nice. We had shin high water as oh, I wow. crossed row four road on the trail up near TR. Uh, 20 miles in 208.30. I did not look at the watch until I finished on the pace. So I have no clue what I was doing throughout. But as awful as that rain was, I was so grateful to stay nice. cool because yeah. when it stopped at about mile 16, I just started baking. <laughs> I felt great and then it was flip the switch. Let's see. Tuesday then, I got a little under 11 miles in an hour and 23 minutes. Did yoga after that swam later in the day. Yesterday, 
Did about 10 miles. Travel day yesterday to see some family. I would have doubled, but instead it was just a slightly longer single, about 10 and a half miles, a little bit longer than I would normally go, and then added five strides on the turf to that. We shared the track this morning with a we group did. of guys, a workout we've I talked about. about yeah, morning. we did. Great. We've used this workout a number of times before. This is one of my favorite ways to uh, construct really a broken threshold effort because uh, we're doing it at 10K, but with short chunks in 400s, it becomes threshold yep. style work. Past few times I've done this, I've done 20 reps. I actually took it to 24 by nice. 400 today. You're strong. So six miles of work. Again, I'm not ripping 24 400s. This is with 100 jog in 30 seconds. So if you start ripping those, you're going to fall apart yeah. at the seams. This is about just consistent quality. And then came back out this afternoon and doubled easy uh, before coming here. So uh, it was a good day with warm-ups and cool-downs and all that kind of stuff. It's 17-point-some miles today. So nice. good week. Number of volumes been up 100-ish here for a little bit. As I said to you earlier, feel not sharp, but do feel strong, and that's where I want to be with 12 and a half weeks yeah, to go that's right. till the big one. All right, buddy. You got yours up now? Yeah, I got mine. Go for ready. it, man. So let's go. I'll go Thursday to today. This Friday. Well, we'll talk about that. Okay. So let's talk. Thursday's workout was about an hour, relatively easy, but I had, well, the plan called for six to eight by 30 seconds at 5K pace. Yeah, you got greedy on that, I didn't you? I forgot how to count. Somewhere around rep six, and I was like, I'll do two more. You're like me calculating like, weeks. I was like, ah, I think I have two more. And ended up, when I got back home, I did 11. It's <laughs> a whole lot more than eight. Um, they felt good. Things were rolling along smoothly. Okay. Um, of course, Thursday night was the big uh, week one of... Can I, can I pause you quickly? Please. More is not always better. That is a defining characteristic of the things we talk about yes. here. With that said, with what you were doing no. and the, the length of those segments, it's not a huge it was mistake. a little bit longer than a typical stride. Yes. A, it was and just it, a bunch of strides. It was just a little bit longer than a stride and slightly slower. Yeah. That's yep. that's okay. Yeah. So Friday was the day after week one of the Upstate Conference, which <laughs> demolished North Greenville. Oh, oh they got Clemson on the calendar, big boy. Oh, we're going 2-0 this week, baby. Yeah. Book uh, it? Are you taking your What's the line on that? Oh, I don't want to know. Based on how they played against Georgia Tech, I put us within a touchdown in, at the oh end of the half. Gosh, are you serious? Absolutely. That's a bold play. You go ahead. I'm going to do some. I'm going to look at, uh, uh, get a hold numbers. of my bookie and get those numbers <laughs> up for you. So anyways, Friday was a somewhat unplanned off day, but life got in the way, so so it goes. Yeah. Um, Saturday was nice. Got out with you and Jim and... Dean, who is coming off an injury. Dino's back, nice baby. The crowd's been waiting for this one. With him. I'll tell you what. Um, he guaranteed a, I think he said a podium finish at Chicago in three um, weeks. <laughs> Put three miles in and the guy's ready to go oh, again. He's ready. Yeah. Uh, so that was that was a very enjoyable run. Saturday got out for two hours, not quite 16 miles. That felt good. Uh, nothing really pushing. We just kind of rolled along. But really comfortable with where that long run is at this point in the cycle. Good. Um, and Give a shout out for the guy. We started at Trailblazer Park. Um, we got done maybe 9.15, 9.30 and pull into the parking lot. And this dude's sitting there, back of his van's wide open. He's barefoot. He's wearing pants, but he's got his electric guitar and is just absolutely ripping to a backing track that's playing out of his van. And he is having the time of his life. All right. So, a little so show. I got a little free concert at the end of that run. Beautiful. It was nice. I'd like to interject that Clemson is a 44 and a half point favorite 
over your Furman Paladins. Oh, I'll take that line. Yeah, you gotta take... <laughs> give me the points. Which, I guess, if we were gonna use transitive property, that means uh, Furman beat North Greenville by 50-some. So, Clemson would be a 100-point yes. favorite. That's fair. Go ahead. I'm sorry. <laughs> so, Monday... I'll try to get the point total as well. Maybe we'll do over-under. Okay. okay. Sounds good. Yeah. Uh, so, Monday ended up being a little bit longer than was planned. Dean got out and joined us for a few miles as well. Got out five and a half miles. Nice and easy. Nothing special. However, that really was more than I should have done because I woke up Tuesday feeling terrible. (laughs) Um, And honestly, just bagged it. I think 75 minutes was on the calendar and just woke up hobbling around and and sore. So ended up taking a zero day. Uh, Uh, So I'm ashamed. I'll tell you what. That's just one more reason that I don't want you crying (laughs) in 87 days. Uh Yesterday was a good run, though. Kind of got back in the rhythm. Just went out for 43 minutes. Uh, nothing special, just nice and easy. And then this morning was good. It was We had a good group out, like you said. Yep. Um, yeah, I ended up doing 16 400s. Which is um, about a mile more of those than you did la- last time we yeah, did that workout, yep, right? Yeah. yeah. At the end of the day, I was happy with, with where the effort was and what that workout was. So cool. Things are feeling good, and we'll, we'll keep building. I don't want to be a downer here, Phil, but not only is it a 44 and a half point line, but the over under is set at 51 and a half. Ooh. So they're assuming no more than a touchdown of total points yeah. from so your... Clemson's becoming the Notre Dame of the Southeast. Oh, the... They are just highly overrated. Okay. We're going <laughs> to we're gonna cut this whole segment. That's, the jabs are unnecessary. We'll move on. I actually disagree. I I think Furman, or excuse me, I think Clemson's defense is really, really good this year. After watching that, you yeah. might see a different quarterback yeah. later in the season. But we are way out of our lane right now. That's so Dabo, don't don't call me. All right, we'll get back to running. Yeah, comments. Send them to the email. <laughs> Secondsflatpodcast at gmail dot com. Read Dabo right. and his new contract. Did you see his new deal? What T- new ten year deal? Eleven and a half million average. A I year, believe. Something yeah, like that. Hey. ridiculous. You know what? Smoke him if you got him, baby. Good for him. So let's go then to our main training topic for today as we move into fall marathon season. Yes. I thought it'd be a a really nice to unpack specific to marathon training, not heart rate zones or intensity zones or types of workouts, but some categorization that I think is valuable and making sure that your training is leading to success on race day, however you define success. I want to reflect on, on this question. Are we crafting and executing a training plan and on a daily scale, individual sessions designed to improve, express, or degrade our fitness and race readiness? Because I believe those are, are three buckets that yeah. we can put almost all our work into. Is this improving me as a runner? Am I simply expressing my current fitness as a runner? Or is this breaking down and degrading me as a runner? Man, there's so much there. And really, I think that's a a concept that we all understand. To a degree, there's both a physical component to each of those three three buckets, but also a psychological component to each of those three buckets in terms of what are we wanting to get out of our running and what are we what are we doing it for? I would define improving as things that build. Yep. Expressing as things that show mm-hmm. and degrading as things that break down. Yep. Everything 
in our training degrades in the immediate term, right. right? Hard efforts break us down. And so improvements are a consequence then of one, the composition of mm-hmm. your sessions, two, the frequency yep. of your sessions, and then three, maybe the biggest, the recovery in between right. each the, of those the sessions. The training you're able to actually absorb and recover from. That's right. How are we defining fitness and race readiness? This is where I go back to a definition that I have read on this program in the past that is not specific to running, but I think suits us quite well. This is from Nassim Nicholas Taleb's Anti-Fragile. He asks, what does fitness mean? And then follows that with another question that is very significant. Being exactly tuned to a given past history of a specific environment or extrapolating to an environment with stressors of higher intensity. And I believe that second part is race readiness. And the first is simple fitness. Being exactly tuned to a given past history of a specific environment. That is the runner who we say, oh, he looks fit. He's super fit. Okay. But are you ready to race? This is where I feel right now. I'm strong. I'm fit. But am I sharp for the demands of the event? Not yet. Yeah. And that comes with extrapolating to an environment with stressors of higher intensity. Those might be the conditions, the course. That might be the competition. That might be how I react now to stressors because I'm more fit and putting myself in a different place in the race. Being able to execute your race strategy. Yes, absolutely. And so in improving, expressing, degrading, we want to consider not just fitness, but race readiness. If we continually use improving as our anchor, and invo- excuse me, and avoid the pitfalls, which I believe are often ego-driven, yes. of expressions and particularly degradations yep. of fitness. That's a great driver for successful training cycles. Yeah. And everything that we lay out about specifics in sessions, workouts, long runs, whatever it might be, easy days, all the above, if our anchor is improving then we can have success on yeah. race day. Well, and I, you said it here, I don't know how many times before, but understanding what is today's workout for, whether that's an easy run or an off day or a specific session, like what is what are we trying to accomplish today? And we've talked a little bit about using technology and some of this data. The problem that it seems like a lot of runners run into is that we ignore this component of improving. Mm-hmm. And keep chasing these metrics to essentially show that we're expressing our fitness. That's right. Whether it's yes. proving to our, our buddies on Strava or proving to ourselves that we, you know, we have this level of fitness or are chasing a random metric that, you know, Strava says that your equivalent marathon time is X, regardless of whether you run that. Or are we going even further and degrading what we're trying to do because we aren't necessarily looking at improving our fitness, but we're saying, I did X this week. I need to be doing X plus 10% next week, ignoring whether that's an actual, you know, actually improving what we are trying to accomplish. What are some things that degrade? What are some things that we do that, frankly, some of them we see frequently that degrade our fitness and race readiness? The first thing that comes up would be just stress. 
mm-hmm. and whatever component that means, whether that's lack of sleep, poor nutrition, recovery, hydration, or... Uh, lack just, of sleep, you nailed one, because yeah. you could be doing things that seem like they're improving fitness, but if you don't recover from them at all, that's really significant, and they're yeah. not going to improve you as much. Yeah. What about then, within our running efforts... What are things we commonly see degrading our fitness or our race readiness? Running 11 reps when you should have run six. (laughs) (laughs) I didn't say it just to pick on you. Uh, You're on the right track, though, to some degree. The endless reps phenomenon. Yeah. Just because you can do something doesn't mean you should do something. One more isn't always better. In fact, a lot of times we probably could improve more if we left while we still felt like we had one on the table. For example, that workout this morning, we were changing directions on the track after every five. Right. I left it at 24. I had gotten to six miles. I could have gotten the 10K. But I got to the point where I thought, I've done incredible work. I feel good about it. I could do another one at this same speed, but what's the difference at this point? I've, I've done so many spins around this oval. I'm done with it. Now, that's anecdotal. Bigger degradations from, from workouts might come from these, like, I'll just call them mega workouts. Those challenging high-volume workouts with really high intensity, especially when used too often, they have their place. Yeah. Let's let's take a, a famous example we've talked about in here before. It's a workout I like, the Michigan. Yeah. This is a, a breakdown where we're cutting down mile then three laps, then two laps, then a single lap on the track with tempo segments in between. It can be done at various intensities, but a lot of people in that thing with that 400 virtually all out. Right. If we're going to make that a workout that we do every single week in a training cycle for an average run, I'm not talking about a University of Michigan athletes. It's just you and I yeah. going out and doing it. Oh, it would crush me. It's probably just too much. It's probably ultimately going to degrade our fitness. Yeah. I see the bigger issues as this time of year in particular, because we're still on the edge of it, and people are moving towards their fall marathon, and you're doing Berlin or Chicago or something that's within a month, and you need to get your 20-plus miler in, but where you are, it's 100 degrees. Uh The super hot, humid, hard effort where you're pressing all the way to the end of it trying to get your quality in, that to me is a killer yeah. In, in degrading and breaking down more than it improves. We're so caught up in trying to make that day well, something that needs that to be. Yes. One specific metric and all, essentially using that one workout as a statement saying that, okay, I'm prepared for this next race. When really looking at the whole body of work that you've done over those previous training cycle. No one run defines it. The same could be true of races under those conditions. But to your point earlier, maybe the biggest piece of that then is what do we do with our recovery afterward? If you're going to put in a race or a hard long run under those conditions, it might be a week before you come back to anything of quality again. And we start seeing days tick away and thinking we're missing opportunities to work out. When in fact, that might be the only way that you recover from that in a way that it actually does improve you. While these breakdowns are bad, I'm not sure that expressions of fitness always are bad. No. The things that show your fitness can have a place. I'm, I'm going to give a couple examples. Uh, number one is famously uh, Joe V. Hill's program at Adams State when they were at the top of the heap in Division II track and cross country. During the cross country season, 
about two weeks out from the peak race at the end of the year. At Elevation in Colorado, on campus, they would often do a two-mile time trial around their grass field where they did a lot of their workouts. They would consistently have guys PR for two miles at that point because they had done so much good work at altitude throughout the season. It's an expression of fitness in, I'm now running faster at two miles than I ever have. It's not just about go out and run two miles all out and and put it all out there and that's what matters. No, it's got a purpose in saying we're two weeks out from nationals and cross. We're running at a shorter distance for this time trial where we haven't worked during this year. You've done all this great cross work and volume. And to show you just how prepared you are for that, look at what we can do with fast stuff too. Right. And we're going to pop big two-mile times and the psychology, to your point earlier, the confidence that could grow from that. That doesn't mean it's the workout that everybody should be doing. They cultivated it in a way to make it work. Well, and it's it's something that's so much different than what they've been training for, but also what they've been racing for, but isn't for an athlete like that so much that it's going to take days and days to recover that's from right. as well. Yeah. Another example that, that could be used are time trials. Mm-hmm. I'm not a big fan of time trialing myself. Some folks use them and with some misguided mm-hmm. intentions in thinking that you're going to get on a track alone under suboptimal conditions with no competition and go rip a great 5K. Right. It's unlikely for most of us. But it can be used as a tool to show where your weaknesses are mm-hmm. and your strengths are within that distance. To me, it's like the two mile. It's a decent benchmark of VO2 you know, max. maybe something that you come back to every six weeks or so. Am I absorbing the training? Am I progressing with my training? Is there a weakness that I need to add yeah. to address, but not something that's done you know, week after week after week? Let me go to a specific workout that grabbed a lot of attention when uh, Elliot Kipchoge broke the world record in the marathon at Berlin a couple of years ago. The final few weeks of his training were released afterward and received a lot of attention. Notably, he ran a 40K long run, mm-hmm. so close to 25 miles, at a, a pace that averaged out to about 520 average pace with a slight progression where he was running faster than that at the end. We've seen numerous sub-elites and even elites apply this to their running, this hard, fast, long mm-hmm. run. I try to use something like this in my training. We just spoke to my 20 miles right. and 208.30. But the key to remember here is, what is the percentage of difference between that and what you actually race at? Well, he's running 30 seconds slower than his race pace. More than. Yeah. Right? He, he is running... 40 seconds slower than his race pace, which at his pace as a percentage is something like 15% slower than his race pace. I'm going to pick on a runner, not intentionally to to criticize, but just to show an example. Parker Stinson, in a build-up to Chicago, a lot of his stuff was chronicled on YouTube. Mm -hmm. He blasted a super long run of like 18, 20 miles, maybe even a little bit more. And the average pace was like the same as Kipchoge's. And there, there was some suggestion that, oh, look at the shape he's in. Maybe, or maybe he's just expressed 
maybe that's too much for Put him. too much out there, yeah. right? Rather than improve it. That Kipchoge run is an improvement. The, the Stinson run, or so many others, uh, and I've probably done it at times myself too, will do that where, where it's an expression mm-hmm. more than an improvement. Because to him, you know, he's a guy who maybe is like a 505, 510 pace and an actual marathon. Right. He's running, almost running a marathon right. at that pace. That's an interesting juxtaposition of just understanding what elites are doing and, and how that applies to you well, and in context. As well, highlighting that that percentage difference in pacing right. as a, across the board. I mean, understanding that Kipchoge is running that at 15% slower than his race pace. You know, what does that translate to somebody that's running eight minute or nine minute pace yes. for a marathon? And let's then, let's tie it back to finish to, to Grant Fisher, because there's plenty of stuff out there on what Bowerman Track Club is doing in their training. Logs are available online from several of their female runners. Uh, Gwen Jorgensen had her YouTube, YouTube channel, channel running yeah. with their workouts. Mark Scott was recently on Sweat Elite and went through a typical training weeks. If we use the Bowerman stuff in the context of improving rather than expressing or degrading, what we see is a ton of work early on what we might call strength with yeah. hill work, then hill plus short track, so we combine the strength and speed, and then a line throughout of a ton of tempo work and threshold work. They do, do huge quantities. We've discussed the Norwegian model before of the huge quantities of threshold running guys like Ingerbritsen are doing. Bowerman Track Club and Grant Fisher are doing a lot of that too. They might compose it a, li- a little differently. Right, but you're hitting the same system. But for example, Mark Scott said one of the things that they've gone back to this season really commonly are the long continuous tempos, maybe up to 10 miles. Well, the average runner can then take that and think, how long does it take them to do that 10 right. miles? Now it becomes more applicable to me of can I do a comparable effort for that amount of time, yep. not that distance, or well, chunk as a percentage it, of like my total week relative to what they're doing. That's right. Their total week. You see them doing things that are designed to improve their fitness. And then they sharpen only in those few final weeks right. before the big races and use racing as a tool to sharpen as well. But it's just a ton of strength-oriented work on hills and tempos and thresholds that creates the foundation for what has made them so successful. Right. The Kipchoge example the Fisher example, the V-Hill example. It's about getting at knowing and understanding what makes you tick, what you enjoy, but also what's best, not just what looks best. Yeah. So let me ask this then. Thinking of somebody that's writing their own training and kind of coming up with their own plan, how would you identify where you're falling as part of that, mm-hmm. that scheme? Yeah, Because it's one thing to say, you know, I, I want to hit X miles each week to help prepare for a marathon or I want to be doing these workouts at, at these paces. But that's almost to me, that's where a third party comes in and it's so helpful to objectively yeah. do what you're doing. Yeah. Um, but for somebody that doesn't have that, I mean, how can we identify where we fall? Yeah. So I, I get concerned by the way you laid it out. If, if that becomes the thought process of... I need to hit this number of miles. I need to hit these certain workouts. That's when I get concerned that we're stuck more in expression and degradation 
rather than improvements. That, to me, is a telling way to lay it out. I need to do 87 miles this week. Right. Whatever the number is, it doesn't matter. Rather than I need to do the right work to get better, start evaluating strengths and weaknesses. And if you're not good enough at reflecting, one, start working on it more. Two, ask somebody else to help you and, and to find those blind spots of evaluating strengths and weaknesses, not just numbers along well, the way to me that that's where number one a, a training log comes in and not just tracking yeah. the data but also you know how do you feel you know right. are, are you sleeping well but more importantly are you enjoying what you're doing every day mm-hmm. and not that every day has to you, know, you have to be excited for but is the general trend in the positive direction or is every day becoming a grind evaluate variables like the amount of days i'm taking in between the hard sessions? Am I putting enough in between that I can recover? Because that can lead you down that path towards degrading fitness when you just do too many of them. Am I feeling good on easy runs? Do I leave them feeling better than how I entered them? Right. Uh, Those are the more nuanced questions you can ask that can help hit that improvement category. We've hit it multiple times here, but that sleep factor is enormous. I just know how I feel when I sleep in or when I get to bed early. And when I do it consistently, the running is better. There is no question. Then on the actual sessions themselves, the ones that improve us are crafted in a way that it's not about putting up statistics. It's about hitting a stimulus. Yeah. You know, that, that stimulus overstat thought. Am I working on that variable? As you said earlier, the why I'm doing, what I'm doing, when I'm doing it. That variable is the goal. I want to win the day, but I don't win the day at the expense of losing the next day or any day after it. My five-mile really slow trot on Sunday is an example. It allowed me to set up a week where I can improve fitness rather than if I tried to express it that day. You know, you can go through your training log. Use some sort of system on your training log as you go back through. Maybe it's just like a stoplight. Yeah. You know, green, yellow, red, based on how I felt. And and if I left this day thinking I got better, but was I completely gassed? Am I getting those multiple days in a row? Like That's concerning. One scale I kind of like using is like a negative two to plus two, where like negative two would be I feel terrible, this is awful, and plus two is I feel fantastic and just... Figuring out what keeps you in that zero to plus two range yeah. and making sure that you're not you know, day after day after day hitting the, the negative two. I mean, if I think, you know, what I talked about in my training week earlier, I had a great Saturday run. I had a great Sunday run. Monday, I felt good, but I went much, not much, but a little bit longer than I usually do for just an easy run. And that really it set me up to fail for Tuesday, which really would have been a, a much more important workout than adding a couple extra miles to an easy run, recovery run on Monday. Well, to your point, I like that, Phil, because you could use the simple math of I'd rather get a bunch of plus ones than alternate every day between plus twos and minus twos because I'm hitting home run workouts, but then I feel like garbage and I'm not recovering. That's a simple way to set it up and look at the long term and say, ah, if I just hit all those plus ones, I would have been better off in the end. Yeah. 
Any other thoughts you want to add on that before we go? I don't think so. Okay. Uh, so, again, are we improving, expressing, or degrading fitness and race readiness? It's more of a mindset and framework that you can use to reflect and evaluate on your training as you prepare for the fall. And you're not always going to fall in an improving bucket. That's okay. A workout can sometimes be more than one. And it can serve multiple purposes. But if you find yourself expressing and degrading very often, that's a recipe for getting to the start line either overtrained or just totally unprepared for, for what the race demands. That's mile 129. We look forward to being back with you on mile 130, seconds flat podcast at gmail.com. If you have any questions, thoughts, or show ideas, Enjoy the September training. I know here oh, next week cooler. it's starting to look like it's going to oh. clear up. Even today, the humidity was a little it was lower. Almost chilly out on the track. Let's not get silly, but we'll take it. <laughs> it was fantastic. We're getting there. Yes. We're getting there. So, uh, best wishes to everyone on the training, and we'll see you next time on Seconds Flat.